This is Gray Area. I'm Daniel Alarcón. Here are the facts. The U.S. population is getting older, fast, and we're not prepared. So our team wanted to take a look at this from lots of different angles. There are over 10,000 incarcerated elderly in New York State, a number that has been steadily increasing since the mid-2000s. In this episode, we talk about re-entry, the process of re-acclimating to society after a prison sentence, which is always hard. It's even harder when that prison sentence is a long one and when the inmate getting out is over the age of 55. Our producer, Steph Beckett, met one man trying to rebuild his life in New York City, a place he left behind nearly four decades ago. Here's Steph. Jose Saldana lives in a cozy apartment in the Bronx, right off 208th Street with his wife, Rosa. He's 66 years old, Puerto Rican, and loves cooking traditional dishes from the island. He also loves going to the gym and watching TV, and he's happy to talk to you about his favorite show. You know, Terrian, he's just a hell of a character. I mean, he's really a, a hell of a character. And then Jon Snow, you know, they, they, this, they got good characters in there, even Cersei. You know, I mean, you gotta like the way she moves. You know, she's just a survivor. So he likes Game of Thrones. So does everyone. Jose's life sounds pretty normal, I suppose. Nothing out of the ordinary. But the fact is, pretty much all of this is new. See, Jose was released from prison only about two months ago, after serving 38 years inside. You know, I was a thief. I was a robber. And I stole a lot of money. You know, I was a bank. I got convicted of a bank robbery. That's why I did eight years in affairs, and then I did the 30 years in the state shooting the cop. These are both violent crimes, and 38 years in prison is what the courts decided he deserved. Some might argue he deserved longer, but that's not what this story is about. I'm not here to convince you that Jose's a good person or a bad person or argue about the debt he owed to society. Instead, I'm here to talk about what it's like for a 66-year-old man to come back to New York City after spending nearly 40 years locked away. Jose says he's a totally different person now, that the Jose who entered the system is a different Jose from the one who came out. I'm embracing virtues that are honorable now, because there ain't no honor among thieves. That's just a myth. You know, there's only honor among honorable men. Jose says he wants to be one of those honorable men. So here's what I can tell you. A lot of things change in four decades. Jose says he did, but so did the world around him. Let's start with the day Jose found out he was being granted parole. When he received the envelope with a paper inside detailing that he was actually going to get out, he was pretty excited. So I opened it up and I went straight to the part where it says parole denied or approved. I have parole approved. Parole release has been approved for January the 11th. And they asked me, how do you feel? I, I was overjoyed. And, and, you know, and not to take anything away from important days in my life, you know, getting married. Um, but I think I, I, I don't recall ever in my life being so overjoyed. But getting out of prison requires a lot of work, and Jose had to get to it. You see, when someone is released, they have to have developed a plan. He or she has to know and report where they will go live whether or not they have family, and even how they plan on getting home. Reporting these plans is supposed to get those who are about to be released thinking about re-entry. It's supposed to make the process easier. Jose says he had been thinking about this for a long time. 
He knew he would move in with Rosa, and it would be the first time they'd be living together. They've known each other since they were kids, but reconnected as adults when Jose was already in prison. They've been together 17 years now. So he didn't need to figure out where to live. And this is a huge advantage, one that puts Jose in a much better position than other newly released long-term inmates might be. But there are other challenges, and even some of the seemingly small stuff can be daunting. Let me give you an example. Jose had Rosa drop off civilian clothes that he could wear on his release date. She brought him a nice outfit, since it would be his first time in a long time wearing something that wasn't government-issued. She brought him up in a box. She brought me a, a coat, pants, uh, a shirt, shoes. About the shoes. They're black leather, narrow, and long. They're all business, and it isn't hard to imagine a man in a suit wearing them on the subway to work. But Jose hadn't seen that style of shoe before, and when he first saw them, he didn't think they were going to fit. So when I seen the shoes, well, they let me see it when she brought them up two weeks before. And I, so I said, I said, baby, these shoes look kind of big. He said, but that's what guys is wearing out here. I said, okay. <laughs> no problem. I just, I'm, I'm just saying, are they size nine? She said, they're size nine. They look big because that's the kind of shoes they're wearing out here. Jose showed them to me to prove just how big they looked. Those are nice. Yeah, those are really nice. Uh, don't they look big? <laughs> yeah, those are just like work shoes, though. That's what like guys wear to the office. Yeah, those are nice shoes. They just look so, I'm not, you know. But I didn't know. Or I guess I didn't realize how weird it must have been putting on your own clothes for the first time in a long time. Or actually getting to wear something your wife picked out for you. Or seeing stylish clothing items for the first time and not realizing they're stylish. Fast forward to the day Jose officially got to leave. January 11th, 2018. Well, I, I already knew that my wife couldn't make it. You know, she had just started working at the senior center. She hasn't accumulated the time to take off. So she arranged, well, we arranged that my two brothers, one is older and one is younger, they would come to pick me up. So when they came, when I, you know, it took a while for me to actually leave the facility for whatever reason. You know, it's easy to get in, hard to get out. After what Jose says felt like hours, he was finally allowed to leave. No guards, no police, no one following him out except his brother who met him in the visitor center. You know, it, it was a, a very emotional moment for both of us. And, and then he said, let's get out of here. I said, I agree, let's go. And we stepped out the, the area into the parking lot where my younger brother was there waving at us. He was in the car waiting, waving at us where he was parked, we went over there. And as soon as I got in the car, he handed me this iPhone. An iPhone doesn't seem like a big deal. They're so common these days. When Jose first went to prison, cell phones were pretty new. A smartphone was unthinkable. So for him to hold his own iPhone, it was a pretty big deal. And then while he held it in his hand, it started to ring. Just put your hand in, slide it over. And when I did that, my wife's picture came on. It was because it was what they call FaceTime. And, I, and, and she, she see my face, and I'm looking at her face, and she's all emotional, crying. And, and before, I mean, she, she was just, she couldn't say anything. But after a few minutes of crying, Rosa found her voice. I think the first thing I asked her was, let me see your shoes. <laughs> let me see your feet. <laughs> just to see if the shoes fit and, and everything. The infamous shoes, which, by the way, she and Jose assured me, did fit. FaceTiming Jose for the first time was really important to her. Like Jose said, she couldn't miss work to pick him up at the door of Greenhaven Correctional Facility, but she says she also couldn't wait to talk to him until after she got off the clock. 
because I wanted to see him. I wanted to see his face. Um, so I sent a little shopping bag with the house keys and a letter that I sent him. Um, and um, I had gone to Washington in, uh, in October, and, uh, and I saw this key ring that had freedom on it. And uh, the, f the key ring itself looked like the outside of the building of the African American Museum in Washington, D.C. Rosa explained the significance of the keychain in the letter she sent Jose with his brothers. And she saw him holding everything she sent him. But she says seeing him on FaceTime and seeing him in person were two different things. Knowing he was outside in the city instead of inside in a cell made it hard for her to focus. It was just crazy at work. It was like the longest day that I had to work. So when he came home, um, his brothers brought him to the center and we hugged a little bit. I trying not to become emotional. But Jose couldn't stay at the senior center for very long. Although Rosa didn't want him to leave, she had to finish the workday. And Jose was hungry for something that wasn't prison food. They took him out for breakfast or lunch and they took him out a little bit. So about four o'clock, right? About four o'clock you came back. But um, it's just really been a roller coaster ride, you know, all these years. That Jose was locked in one place while everywhere else was changing. Since he's been out, he's been trying to get acclimated. And I set up his phone and uh, he's been learning. <laughs> he's been learning how to answer the phone. Yeah, I texted him today. <laughs> <laughs> he's learning how to text and to put in the bitmojis for me. <laughs> so he's learning slowly, but it's, it's, it's a process. And it's, you know, technology is a process, you know, and, and he'll get it eventually. After being separated from the rest of society for so long like Jose was, almost everything is a process. And the process of getting reacclimated to society has a name. It's reentry. And for anyone used to the strict, regimented life in prison, coming back to the rest of the world is pretty hard, especially as a senior in the busiest city in America. Jose says ever since he's been home, everything is a series of firsts. It, it is different. Anytime you do something with a different frame of mind, it's like you're doing it for the first time. And, and that's how I felt. Some of them are good, little victories, like organizing his new sweaters, socks, and underwear into drawers. He's used to keeping everything in a big bin in his cell, and he's not used to having so much of everything. You know, you get used to it after a while, but, you know, I first said, damn, what am I going to do with all these drawers? You know, but then I realized I filled them up. You know, everything, you know, going, even just going to the refrigerator. And taking a shower. You know, that's a big thing because it's a big thing. And when I'm in prison, I'm always saying, damn, how am I going to get a shower today? You really got to map this thing out. Strategize how you're going to get your shower today. Now, you know, I could just jump in five, six times a day if I want to. And that's, 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 that's rewarding. It's refreshing. But some parts of reentry aren't refreshing or fun or easily adaptable. For instance, Jose's curfew is 8 p.m. every night. So it's, sometimes it's a rush to get back home. Sometimes, like the other day, we, was, we, was, we went to dinner with some friends, right? Um, we actually went to, um, we were invited to go to a school to see a program that the children were having on Black History Month, and it was so beautiful. So then afterwards, our friends said, okay, you know, let's go to a pizza place. We know a pizza place, but we were watching the time, and we were nervous about it because, you know, anything can happen. They could 
be knocking on your door at eight. But all newly paroled inmates have curfew. There are other challenges of reentry that are unique to the elderly and to former inmates coming out of a long prison term. Jose says sometimes he gets lost, and he's not sure if that's because he's so used to not having to memorize directions or if it's because he's gotten older. Okay, like the, oh, you're not from around here. They got something called, that's why I go to work out, the oval. One day I was with Rosa and she said, this is the best way to go, the quickest way to get to the oval. So he set off for the gym. I try to remember when she's telling me these things. I'm looking at the streets, seeing what streets I'm passing. And then a couple of days after that, I got lost. And I'm wondering if, if, if that's because I wasn't paying attention to the streets that I'm... It's only about five blocks, but I just took the wrong turn. He's also had trouble getting used to the subway. When they told me the fare, I said, what? 275? Damn! For comparison, in 1980, when Jose went to prison, the fare was only 60 cents. But it's not just the price, of course. At least he's eligible for a senior Metro card. Sometimes Jose gets on the wrong train. Sometimes he miscalculates how long it will take him to get somewhere. But this is all minor, day-to-day stuff that, as Rosa said before, he'll get eventually. Understanding the full scope of challenges that the average elderly person faces once he or she gets out of prison is hard. And it's difficult to boil systematic issues and barriers to entry, or re-entry, down to just a few things. But it's important to understand that many of these challenges actually start on the inside. It's a well-known fact that the prison and jail population in New York is shrinking. The Center for Justice at Columbia University studied this trend in 2015. According to the study, between 2002 and 2015, the prison population in New York State decreased by over 20%. But the population of incarcerated elderly actually increased by over 80%. Release Aging People in Prison, or RAP, is an advocacy organization that educates the public about the mass incarceration of the elderly. They have monthly meetings, and I've been attending them. I sat down with two of its members, lead organizer Mujahid Farid and associate director Dave George. George says there are many reasons for the aging prison population, but one of them is that the crimes these people have committed are serious and violent, but many committed them when they were young. And in the United States, for parole boards and elected officials and the public, we naturally don't want to forgive them for those crimes. So they don't get parole. Despite somebody's... Uh, transformation and the degree to which they have changed over time. Uh, They are repeatedly judged by the worst thing or things they've ever done, even if those thing or things happened 20, 30, 40, or 50 years ago. They stay in prison. And it's expensive to keep them there. According to the Center for Justice study, in 2015 it cost almost $16 billion to keep America's elderly in prisons because of the extra services they need. One thing I think about a lot is the, the, the axiom or the saying uh, that we should respect our elders. I think for the entirety of this nation's history and probably the history of most nations, that phrase has existed at the same time that it is uh, hypocritically not practiced. And for George, keeping elderly in prison. And I think this is perhaps... Uh, the most extreme example of how hypocritical that statement is. But Mujahid says the challenges don't end after release. 
Like Jose, many formerly incarcerated elderly don't know how to use different types of technology when they get out. And even though many incarcerated people aren't allowed unfettered access to the internet, not allowing them access at all can create issues for them when they're released. Because of security concerns uh, in the prison systems, you'll find that even today in New York, that uh, people behind the walls are not able to utilize internet. And so uh, it tends to illustrate just how far behind someone can uh, be when they uh, re-enter society after many years. So to recap, most incarcerated elderly have all this going against them while they're on the inside. But once they get outside, it's a different story. In some very important ways, Jose has a greater chance at success than most. He's actually pretty lucky. Yes, he's had a hard time adjusting to directions and public transit, but he has a wife and a family and a place to call home. He had no problem getting health insurance, but there are many others who aren't that lucky. I think housing and um, continuing medical care um, are probably the most needed and challenging. That's Liz Gaines. She's the president and CEO of the Osborne Association. It's an organization that helps to create opportunities for those who have been in prison. Um, A lot of folks aren't so ill that they're going to need nursing home care, but lots of people, by the time you reach that age, do need regular medication and regular checkups. So getting people to connected to health care is important. Her organization published a study in 2014 looking at how aging in prison can be detrimental to someone's reentry process once they're released. According to it, elderly people face a lot of the same roadblocks as younger people do as they're returning home from prison. However, they also face greater rates of homelessness, low employment, fragmented community and family ties, increased anxiety, chronic medical conditions, and increased mortality rates. Earlier, Gaines mentioned how widespread housing and health care are. That's because although there isn't much data on formerly incarcerated elderly, the data that are there suggest up to half of the nation's homeless have a history of incarceration. Similarly, many formerly incarcerated elderly may not know how to reinstate health benefits, which results in a delay of coverage, often lasting months. This leads them to use expensive emergency services instead. A 2008 Urban Institute study found that one-third of people coming home from prison use emergency services within the first year of release. But these issues are where Osborne tries to come in. The organization offers something called the Elder Reentry Initiative. We were looking at two things. One was to make prisons more age-friendly, um, and then to work with people so that they could get out. Osborne works with people before they get to the parole board and tries to help people get a plan in place just in case they're released. It aims to at least address the things that have statistically kept the elderly population from successfully reentering society. Like I said earlier, Jose is pretty lucky. He had much of this set up with Rosa by the time he was released. But fragmented family ties are one of the challenges he's been facing. After being away for so long, his relationship with his kids isn't what he wants it to be. Jose has four children from an earlier marriage. They're all adults now. And since he got out, he's been trying to find common ground. Get back into their lives, even if it's only a little bit at a time. I gotta get through... This wall, that's, this, this, it's just a matter of how, how big the wall is, how thick. But it's a, it's a wall, there's 38 years, it's a, it's a big chunk of a person's life. 
One day I visited, Jose's youngest son, Malik, happened to be coming by. Is that your son? Might well be. Yeah. Jose and Malik have only met twice since Jose has been out of prison. Their relationship is a little awkward. Jose says they don't really know each other. He didn't even know Malik was also living in the Bronx until about a week before they met up the first time. Malik says he's never had a chance to actually get to know his dad. I don't, I don't know anything about him. I just heard stories, many from my mother, um, somewhat my brother, my sisters. Um, I mean, I would have questions when I was younger. He'd ask where his dad was and why he wasn't home with them. And they just would say, uh, he's in prison. And I was like, well, what he do? When's he getting out? And nobody, nobody really gave me a direct answer. And I guess after a while, I just stopped asking. He says he started to feel alone and misunderstood. He grew up without ever really knowing Jose and without ever really having a relationship with him. So now it isn't like Malik is trying to make up for lost time. He's trying to navigate what his relationship with Jose is and what it should be. I, I was upset a lot. Like growing up, I was, I was angry a lot. And I didn't know why I was so angry most of the time. And even now, I never knew why um, I felt like alone or different, you know? But now, when I see him now, I'm 39, it's like everything started making sense. Jose says he just wants to build a relationship with Malik, even if it isn't a father-son one. The other day, yeah, we spent some time together really, really talking, you know what I mean? Really talking. And, and it's good. It's good. You know, let me know how he feels, you know, and, and you know, you got to be right to feel the way you feel, you know, and that's my maturity too, you know, because there was a time when I was much younger that I would say, yeah, you feel that way, well, keep stepping, <laughs> you know, so, but I can't do that, and that, you know, I'll be a hypocrite, and it's not in my heart, that's not how I feel. But how do you navigate defining a relationship that you've never really had? Malik says he realized Jose knows about when he was born, and he knows about his job and what he's doing now, but Jose doesn't know about all the stuff in between. I don't do drugs, I don't drink, I don't smoke. Um, I try to keep in shape, I try to keep healthy, and I just, I guess I just want him to see, like, just be proud of me, to be like, yeah, that's my son, he didn't turn up to be a statistic or getting locked up or going to jail or anything like that, so. Jose, are you proud? Yeah, I told him that to me that's, not going to jail is <coughs> achievement. It's, it's, it's an admirable achievement. The point is, they're trying to find that common ground, find things they can talk about and relate to each other about. For years, Malik only really knew one thing about Jose. I always told him, like, the only thing that I know about him is that he did martial arts. And that was it. I, and I thought it was cool because um, I was always telling my sister, like, why, why I like martial arts so much. Like, I never knew why. I, it was something ingrained in me, like, I have to do this. There are next steps here. 
Malik has a seven-year-old daughter, and he wants to eventually introduce her to Jose. Even though he says it's too late for him and Jose to build up to a regular father-son relationship, since they're both adults now, he does want that type of relationship for Jose and his daughter. But they're still working at it, and trying to meet in the middle of the 38-year-long wall that's standing between them. So, what comes next? Life after prison can be hazy and difficult to predict. But that's especially true for an elderly person with a criminal record. There are a lot of question marks in terms of qualifying for jobs, moving, or traveling. And those are what Jose is trying to figure out now. He says it's too late for him to build an entire career. He's 66, when most people are trying to stop working instead of starting. First things first, though. Well, the first thing I want to do is I want to be employed in, in the, in, in the reentry industry in some capacity. Counseling, I want to get my counseling degree. Not, not so much a counseling degree, but I want to get KSAT. That's the Comprehensive Alcohol Substance Abuse Treatment Program. He says he wants to help formerly incarcerated youth and teens with programs he's already started. Well, we've developed a program called A Challenge to Change. It's, it's a therapeutic program that addresses criminal thinking and behavior in a way that I've never seen it address. You know, we go into the deep causes of, of crime, of the criminal thinking. Jose also wants to accomplish a lot of other things. He wants to write and publish books about his experiences with the prison system. He wants to develop an actual retirement plan after he works for a few more years. I asked him about his five-year plan. In five years, I definitely hope to be off parole, and, and, and I hope to be living in Florida somewhere. Florida, because of the weather. But until he gets off parole, he can't move. He can't even take a vacation. But he and Rosa want to do that, too. They want to take a cruise. But if they want to go sooner rather than later, Rosa says they have to take one that stays in the country. Otherwise, she says they'll wait until he gets off parole because they want to go to the Dominican Republic. They, they, they have the what, Alaskan cruises, which I've heard They have the Alaskan that. cruises, and they also have one that leaves from here. There's a ship that leaves from here and goes to Puerto Rico and goes to the Dominican Republic and Grand Turk and then comes back. But Jose and Rosa have developed smaller goals together, too, to get Jose used to going out. They went to the movies together. They saw Black Panther. Jose says he didn't really know what to expect. But the seats were nice. You know, I'm, I'm, listen, I, I was expecting a, a theater like, well, like what I was used to. But that, that was comfortable. I mean, they had the thing when you press, the seat goes down, the thing goes up. I, I, I didn't expect that. As you might imagine, it could be weird all of a sudden having your husband ready and available to go on dates with you after 17 years of marriage without that. It wasn't like Rosa never got to see Jose while he was inside. She's him pretty often with the Family Reunion Program, a program that allows incarcerated people to meet with family members for a few hours in privacy. But now they have a lot more privacy in their own home. It's just been great, it really has. Mainly because of our age, you know? It's like uh, starting a relationship all over again out here. It's not the same when you go there on a, for the uh, FRP, for the family reunion visits. And, um, and that, was, that was difficult too because I was going to school also and we were doing homework and, you, we were there for each other. We were there. But um, now it's the real deal. He's here, and, 
and you know um, taking care of bills together it's nice that's another reason why Jose wants to get a job so he can contribute but that will take time and patience he had trouble getting a social security card and he needs that to get a state ID once all that is in place then he can start seriously looking for a job until then he says he's continuing spending time with Rosa and developing a routine for himself. Well, we try to have dinner at the same time, or a reasonable time. We don't, I don't want to eat 9 o'clock at night. You know, we try, to have, we try to have some type of routine in our lives. You know, we know Sunday morning we're going to do the laundry. You know, I, I would like to just let her sleep and go out and do it myself. You know, but she wants to go, so, you know, we go together. That's essentially what Jose's reentry process is. It's developing ideas and routines and trying different things out to see if they work. For a 66-year-old, reentry is everything from learning to use an iPhone to navigating the subway to figuring out plans for getting a job. It's hard. But Jose says he's prepared. I'm really appreciating this. That's the whole thing. I'm not taking none for granted. I'm appreciating my freedom. It's watching Game of Thrones with Rosa. It's going on a date to see a 3D movie. It's reconnecting with a son who doesn't know him. It's trying to fit back into a world that kept changing while he was locked away. Reentry is many different things to many different people. And it's a lot different for people over the age of 55. And three months, six months, even a year or three from now, Jose might still be figuring out what that process will be for him. One step, and one day, and one hurdle at a time. Steph Beckett is a graduate of the Columbia Journalism School. Steph, why were you interested in reporting on aging? I wanted to report on aging because so much of journalism involves finding the things that no one else is talking about. And although there are more and more stories about aging every day, I thought this would be a really unique opportunity to find something that people aren't talking about. Gray Area is produced at the Columbia Journalism School and edited by me. The rest of the staff includes Amara Mokwe, Jennifer Siegel, and Sarah Wyman. Special thanks to Jose, Rosa, and Malik. Thanks also to the folks at the Release Aging People in Prison campaign, the Osborne Association, and the Fortune Society. A final thank you to all who offered to share their stories with us so we could tell them. Thanks to my colleagues at Columbia, Paula Spann, and Dory Block. To find out more about our project and listen to more episodes, visit us on the web at grayareapodcast.nyc. We also list our music credits there. Follow us on Twitter at grayareany. I'm Daniel Alarcón. Thanks for listening.